0: Do you like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them. Would you like them here or there? I would not like them here or there. I would not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. Would you like them in a house? Would you like them with a mouse? You get the picture. This passage can leave us feeling a little as though we've just read a big long story from Dr. Seuss, can't we? And it's a difficult passage, I commend you Peter, you've done really really well, I think you only stumbled once, <laughs> and that's alright. There's the bits where I do not do what I want to do and I do the things I don't want to do and you know, you know what I mean. But with God's help this morning, we can break it down and have a real close look at it. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we, as we come to this difficult passage in, in, in Romans and, and a passage where we can sometimes just gloss over it because it's difficult to read, Lord, I just ask this morning that you would, would help me as I explain this. Um, But also, Lord, that you would speak to each one of our hearts. That you would give us the things that we need in order to understand this passage. That we would be honest with ourselves and, and see that we have this inner struggle going on within us. And Lord, I just ask that you would be with each one of us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. I've got a question for you. Who's good at maths? Is... Jemima, yes, you you stuck your hand up first. What's 7 plus 6 plus 5? Sing it out for me, anybody. 18. How do you know this? How do you know that 7 plus 6 plus 5 equals 18? Um, Very good. The fact that of 7 plus 6 is 13, plus another 5 is 18. These are factual things, don't we? And so we base our answer on facts. As we go through this passage this morning, and this will become more clear why I'm asking you this question, but as we go through this passage this morning, I think that there are some of us here who base our Christian lives on facts feelings more than facts. Would you agree with me? All right, let's break into it. This first passage, verses 7 to 14, focuses in on the law and sin. And I don't know how many times Paul mentions the law or the commandment throughout this passage. I did count them up, but I can't remember them. There's, there's so much focus on the law and the opposite of sin. And I think that the problem that we have within our Christian lives is that we, that we base our, our, our performance as Christians based upon how we follow the law. We struggle with sin and when we don't do the things that we want to do, we feel as though we're not Christians. And I think that, that there's, a, there's a bit of a, a problem within our lives that we have one of two attitudes towards our sin, that we're either blame shifters or deniers. And so by blame shifters, I mean that we, that we shift the blame to something or something else, someone or else. We're experts at blame shifting because we've been doing it ever since the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3. God knew that Adam and Eve had sinned and, they, and he came looking for them. And the first thing that Adam does, instead of being honest and owning up to it, he says, no, no, it wasn't my fault, it was her fault. And God, it's your fault because you put her here with me. So it wasn't God, it wasn't Adam's fault. It was God's fault. It was Eve's fault. And then again, Eve does exactly the same thing. She shifts the blame and blames the serpent who deceived her. And in the very next chapter of Genesis, in Genesis four, we see that Cain, in a roundabout kind of way, does a very similar thing. No, he does. He denial. He is in denial about his sin after he kills his brother. God confronts him and he says, I don't know. God asks him, where is your brother? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And so he's in denial about his sin. If you go to a correctional facility and you ask any of the prisoners there, you'll get one of these two answers. They'll either blame someone else for, being, for them being in prison or they'll be in complete denial about it. I didn't do it. I'm not guilty. Or, no, it was my parents' fault. And they shift the blame. And the dialogue that Paul is having here with his imaginary dialoguer, then he's, he's, this dialoguer's trying to shift the blame for his sin. He's trying to, to shift the blame onto the, onto the law as being responsible for his sin. He says, verse 7, What then shall we say that the law is sin? That the law is it at fault for, for our sinful condition? Paul says, by no means. No way. The law's not at fault at all. The reason that we're in this predicament of needing a saviour is because that we have this inbuilt desire to rebel against God, to go against his, his will or his way, and we want to re- rule our own lives rather than listen to God and follow his way. When Paul speaks about the law here, he's talking about the Ten Commandments firstly, but, but also the following laws... Uh, In the the first five books of the Bible Known as the Torah There are 613 laws in the first five books of the Bible Genesis through to Deuteronomy And they begin with the first ten commandments They begin with the ten commandments in in Exodus And the story goes You can summarise it to the first five books You can summarise to this God gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus of how to love God, how to worship Him, and how to love others. But Israel failed miserably. Moses is then given more laws on how to love God, worship Him only, and, and to, to love others. Israel failed again. Moses is then given more laws to explain how to love God, how to worship him, and how to love others. And Israel failed again. You see, the problem was that the the people of Israel were focusing in on their performance by keeping the law, basing their salvation on their ability to keep the law. And their thought thought process was, if I can keep the law, if I can keep it to the letter, then God will love me, God will save me, and all will be well. This is why Israel failed. Their motivation was in their own ability. And if we're completely honest with ourselves, we haven't got any ability to be godly. Be honest. Be honest. Who's broken the speed limit this week? Come on, own up. There's only one police officer that comes along to church here, but he's not here today. (laughs) Even just by one kilometre, if you've broken the speed limit. But no one was hurt when you broke it. Hey, Bree, you're looking very guilty. You didn't didn't get caught, I hope, you didn't get a picture in the mail of your camera of your car and, and how fast it goes? Sam? No? Okay. Oh just just because there's a law of a speed limit doesn't stop you from breaking it, whether accidentally or, or on purpose. What if you've had an accident where a speeding driver crashed into your car? And as a result, one or more of your family members were injured. It changes the way that you look at a law of a speed limit, doesn't it? The purpose of the law, the Ten Commandments, was never to to burden Israel with with rules and regulations of of God trying to stop them from having fun, of stopping stopping them from having a fulfilled life. In fact, it was the opposite. The purpose of the law was so that they would have a perfect and fulfilled life by following God, loving him, worshipping him and loving others and showing that to the nations around them. And Israel had lost the, this initial spirit of the law. It wasn't about blaming, it wasn't about following the letter out of obligation, but out of love for God who had saved them. And in Exodus, when, when God gives the Ten Commandments initially, he says these words Exodus 20, verse 1, he says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who saved you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Do you see the initial spirit of the law there? It wasn't just rules and regulations. It was was because God had saved them, the Israelites were to have no other gods before him. It was because he wanted his people to be holy, to be different from the nations around them. The purpose of the law is also to reveal our sin and our position before God. It reveals God's character, that God is holy and good and righteous and just. And it also reveals our character that we are in need of a saviour. It highlights our need for God. And also the purpose of the law was to point forward to Jesus as being the one who would save us, save us from our sins and and fulfil the law in its entirety. So as you can see there, The law is not at fault for our sinful condition. It merely highlights it. And Paul says this in verse 12, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. But we've still got this inner struggle going on. We've still got this this struggle between wanting to do what God wants us to do and yet having our sinful nature compelling us almost to do the things that we don't want to do. We know that what God has commanded is good and holy and righteous, but we still go back to those things that that ruin our lives. That cause us pain, that leave us unfulfilled. Can you relate to this? This toing and froing of our nature against God's will. This struggle of, of wanting to do right, but being dragged away by my own evil desires, time and time again. There's this flesh, this battle going on of, of, of the flesh against the law of God. But when it all boils down to it, we just don't want to do what God says all the time. We're like little children who, who don't want to do what God says just because he said it. And just like the law of a speed limit is powerless to stop us from speeding, the law is powerless to stop us from sinning. Because the real problem is not with the law, and it's not with God, it's with us. The real problem is in our hearts. We've got this sinful nature that, that compels us to do the things that we don't want to do. When I was 19, I remember having this inner struggle. And don't get me wrong, I still have it day by day. But I have this, had this inner struggle of, of wanting to do what was right, wanting to do the things that God was instructing me to do, but yet going back to my sin time and time again. And so I went and visited my uncle and... And I wasn't just struggling with, with wanting to do the right and wrong things, r- wanting to do the right things and not doing the wrong things. I was also struggling with the fact that I wasn't sure whether I was saved and I wasn't sure whether the Christian faith was true or not. His response has stuck with me. He said that the fact that that you are struggling with this is is a testament to go, a show that God is working in your life. God had revealed Himself through me, uh, to me, through knowing what is right and wrong, and yet He was still calling me to something greater than that. He was calling me to to living my life not just trying to do the right thing, but but following Him with my heart and soul and mind. So if you're struggling with this inner struggle this morning, it's a it's a testament to show that God has spoken into your life. He has spoken into your life. He confirms that God is at work in your life. That he has shown us what is right and what is wrong. But he has shown us much more than that. So I do ask that you will be encouraged by by the words of this passage this morning. That doesn't make it go away, does it? This inner struggle still remains. And Paul asks, who will save me? Wretched man that I am, who will save me? I can't save myself by doing the right thing because I just keep slipping back into sin again. I can't save myself because I know that I can't follow the law 100%. The answer is in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the one who has come to save us who fulfilled the law when we could not fulfill it who who lived a perfect sinless life and never gave in to temptation who died the perfect death in order that that our sins would be washed away and rose again to life to break the power of sin and death over the lives of those who placed their faith in him do you see the facts there They're not just feelings. Let me ask you this again. What's 7 plus 6 plus 5? 18. 18. But how do you feel what the answer is? I feel as though it might be 2 today. Tomorrow I might feel as though it might be 23. Do you get what I'm saying? You see, we need to stop basing our, our salvation on feelings and base it on the facts of the one who has saved us, the one who has made it possible. You see, this side of heaven, we, we won't see complete freedom from sin and temptation, but, but is that any reason to walk around in it? Is that any reason to walk around defeated? Paul says, as we look back over chapter 5, 6, and 7, Paul says that those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ have been justified, made right with God. That is fact one. That means they are now no longer dead in their sins, but they are alive in Christ, fact two. They are no longer slaves to sin, but are slaves to righteousness, fact three. And that they have been released from the obligation of the law of following it out of obligation and have been released as we see next week as we get into chapter 8, have been given the Holy Spirit to replace their hearts of stone. Fact four. God's law is now written upon our hearts in order to, for us to be able to love Him, worship Him, and love others. Because In the light of of what we have seen, we have seen his salvation in Jesus Christ. Does that change your motivation for following the law? Because of what Jesus has done, he has given us salvation, he has saved us. We can now follow the law. We can now love God and love others and worship him only. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Duncan used the illustration about the marionette puppets. You know, the puppets with the strings, and they're controlled by a thing at the top. It's usually a little wooden cross. He used that illustration and he said, by Jesus doing what he had done on the cross, has done, Jesus has cut those strings As if to say the power of sin no longer has a hold over you. We think that sin controls us, don't we? We think that our sinful nature controls us. And the reason why we don't die to sin is because we love it so much. We like to sin because it's in our nature. We don't love God because we like our sin so much. And instead of walking in the Spirit, walking in the Holy Spirit and the power that he has given us, we, we can reconnect those strings and, and allow sin to control us once again. Or we make excuses like, it's not my fault or I don't know what you're talking about or I can't help it because it's my sinful nature. Or, if I keep on sinning, won't God just forgive me all the more? If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, you've been made justified with God, made right with God. You've been made alive with Christ and dead to sin. And so Paul is saying as we get into chapter 8 and I won't steal the thunder from next week but as we get into chapter 8 next week he says walk in the power of the Spirit because those who are who walk and I'll read it, verse 1 there is now no condemnation for those who are Christ in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And in one of other one of his other letters Paul writes in Galatians 5:22 that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You can say all you like that that you don't have salvation or you don't feel as though you have enough self-control to, to not give into temptation. Whether that be eating the entire packet of biscuits or buying that pair of shoes at the shop or, or giving in the t- into the temptation of swearing or cheating or lying or lusting. The fact is that we have been given the Holy Spirit if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We have been given the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. But we're not inactive bystanders in this process of being made more and more holy. You see, those things that love, that joy, peace, patience, kindness... What are they? They're things that you've got to exercise. If you want more of them, God's not just going to give them to you. I remember hearing a, a prayer, "God, give me patience and give it to me now." God, give me kindness. What do you got to do to exercise kindness? What have you got to do to exercise joy? What have you got to do to exercise self-control? We have to rely on God, but we are not inactive bystanders. We don't just sit back and say, "Okay, God, you do it all. You've done it all in Jesus, and now for the rest of my life you can do it all. No, we need to exercise these things. Self-control, love, peace, patience, joy, faithfulness, gentleness. This week as you go from here, I ask that you would stand on these promises, these facts of what have what we have seen throughout 5, 6 and 7. Chapters 5, 6 and 7. And what we will continue to see as we break into chapter 8 next week. But don't just let it be head knowledge. Let it impact your heart. Go from this place and, and walk in the Spirit exercise your your gentleness your patience your self-control because if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ you have those things in the holy spirit as you go from this place and I need to hear this as much as anything don't just focus on physical exercise focus in on on spiritual exercise as well. Let's pray, shall we? Lord God, we thank you for this, this letter to Romans and even though there's tricky passages in it where sometimes we can gloss over them because they're too difficult to understand or even read. Lord, we thank you for for your word and and what it means to us, how it instructs us and challenges us and, and equips us. And Lord, we ask for your power to be over us this week, that in the Holy Spirit who dwells within those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, We ask that you would help us to exercise love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control. Faithfulness to you and to others, gentleness towards our kids, self control when it comes to temptation over us, love towards others, joy because of what you have done for us and knowing that we have peace with you. We pray your, your spirit to dwell within each of us this week that we would come to know you in a greater and deeper way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.